Good afternoon. My name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. And welcome, uh, welcome 2021. And welcome to our first uh, Thursday after lunch IT webinar series. Uh, so really excited to kick off the year with this topic. And you can't you can't have planned it any better. Uh, sometimes you're better lucky than good. But we're, today we're going to talk about um, you know preventing data breaches from the edge to the cloud. And with COVID-19 and uh, our gradual migration in the cloud, it's very, very timely. Uh, one thing before we get into it, uh, many of you know, um, if not all of you, on December 13th, SolarWinds announced that it experienced a highly sophisticated manual supply chain attack. And uh, this, is a, this is a crime scene in the federal government. We're working on this. Uh, our federal government colleagues all know about it. They're all talking about it. They're all collaborating, but right now we can't talk about it. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but uh, this topic is very pertinent right now, as it as 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 you can imagine. But anyway, uh, welcome all attendees. Special thanks to Linda Garcia, who I've worked with a long time, Edward Evans, Sydney Morgan, and the rest of the Cisco team. Um, we really appreciate you being a great partner for ATARC, and you're always bringing your really really good ideas to to us. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, we're going to hear from our panelists after a quick introduction. Uh, we'll go into a deep dive with our panelists and we'll have some Q and A, and we'll take some questions from everybody. I might have a few, but I really want to hear from everybody else. So, real quickly, we'll do some quick introductions. Um, we have, and uh, it's like Hollywood Squares. I'm not sure where everybody is, but I'm going to start off with uh, uh, my good friend Jacob Marcellus, who's is this is a new title, uh, Chief Compartmented. Enterprise Services Office um, over at Defense Information Systems Agency. How are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing great, Tom. Um, thanks for having me here. No, no problem, no problem. And, and you're you're working from home. I see. Uh, uh, you don't have, don't have to go to the office. Every time I was always at at, at at Fort Meade, we you know that's where I don't think I've ever seen you outside of the office. So good to see you. Oh, yeah, great. Different times right now. Yep, that's that's right. And uh, next we have Stephen Hernandez, who's Chief Information Security Officer over at the United States uh, Department of Education. Uh, I thought you were at Energy. Did I get that wrong? Uh, no, you got it right. <laughs> that's okay, a, okay. A great catch. Um, uh, we're we're yeah. Ed, and Energy is DOE. So that's yep, how yep, we yep, keep I got it. Yeah, I I uh, I had something written wrong. So good to see you. You got to let me know about the background because we have an inside baseball thing going on right now uh, with our prep call yesterday. Tell us about your background real quick. Yeah, so uh, when my wife and I travel, or at least when we did uh, before the wonderful pandemic, uh, one of our things is always going to different libraries. And uh, this one is the library of El Escorial Monastery, and it's out in Madrid, Spain. So there's a beautiful place, exactly what you expect, quiet and solitude, good place for reflection. Um, but I think I recognize yours as well, probably somewhere in Ireland. Yes, yes. I, I was. Uh, so if you ever go to Dublin, Ireland, there's three things there I really like. They had the world's oldest bar. They've got a great brewery. And um, I do share a passion with you for libraries. So this is Trinity College in Dublin. This is actually a picture I took. It's like out of Harry Potter. It's very difficult to describe, but it's it's books up to the ceiling. And it, I don't know, it's probably... 800 years old or something. So, I'm in honor of you. I'm. I got. I'm going to keep this background today. Um, 
Next, we have Roy Fernando, who's a Cyber SecOps Information Security Division um, at the U.S. Uh, Small Business Administration. How are you doing today, Roy? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, and pleasure to be sharing the panel with you guys again. Yeah, and we'll get into it, but you guys, uh, once again, are getting rolled out for a huge program that's uh, going to be unrolled in the next couple of weeks. So we'll get into that, certainly, in our discussion. And then uh, last but certainly not least, we have Sydney Morgan, who's a, a distinguished engineer at Cisco. And Sydney, I know that's really a hard honor to get inside of your company. That's like a big deal. Yeah, I think so. It's, um, it's a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of dedication. Yep, yep, yep. And where are you out of today? So I'm out of my house today in San Francisco. So living the dream in San Francisco. There you, there you, there you go. Uh, at least we didn't get you with the with the 9 a.m. Uh, webinar. <laughs> we sometimes do that to our, our our West Coast West Coast friends. So oh, it's kind of like football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming today. Um, so we'll get right into it. Uh, maybe we'll start off with you, Jake. Uh, let us know a little bit about your job for, in the first place. I'd like to hear about this new new gig that you have over at DISA, and you've had a lot of interesting ones so far. And um, how this how that uh, relates to the topic today? So sure. So um, it, it's actually been a couple of years um, since we've spoken, and um, since I've been able to our, our participate here um, in the ATARC. And if you look behind me, you can see uh, my, my ATARC award back there. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> I didn't put it there for the webinar. It's been there uh, uh, since we moved into the house. It was, right. It was a mobile award. I just yeah. I just saw that picture. I was I I was thinking how much weight that I had had then and then I lost it now I'm back up to that weight it's kind of funny yeah I got it um um with my compadre that I used to work up with CIO but um yep. you know since 2019 uh, I'll, I'll just start in 2019 uh, I think one of the most significant things that happened was uh I was accepted into the Fed CIO CISO Council's uh, SES CDP and that was a great experience right for a year I got to spend some time with 22 other uh CIO and CISO types um, down at American University in the key program. And, and it was good, right? It was, uh, it was definitely something where I got to share and hear some different perspectives um, since we generally stay in our, our, our DOD little bubble, right? So, so great things there. Um, a part of that program, I also was able to serve as the uh, uh, Deputy Chief Data Officer. Um, it was a part of a broadening assignment that was um, mandatory in the program. Um, and, and that was definitely something different than what I've what I've actually experienced in the past, right? So a lot of my context in, for data has been as a computer scientist, right? Like using the data for defensive, you know, analyzing the data, maybe analyzing it for um, net ops, right? Trying to understand if you if you see some indicators, right? Like um, for for system up or down, but. But this one really looked at data from a perspective of, are you meeting your organizational um, objectives? And can you use data to like continuously improve uh, on your, your mission objectives, right? And, and adjust. So, so that was actually great. Um, right now, um, and, I, and I, I graduated the program and, and some good stuff there, right? But um, Right now, I actually lead um, Enterprise uh, Special Access Program IT, um, and, and it's a great position, right? I'm able to leverage past experiences in uh, enterprise development, 
common services IT, and uh, a lot of that uh, cyber ops and that ops maturation. So, um, and with that, I think, but the most significant thing has been, you know, what we're dealing with now, right? COVID-19, and it really has pushed what it, mean, what it means to be an adaptive leader, right? So conditions that were static um, are very fluid. As, as you know, I was sitting in my car yesterday, parked, of course, safe, right? Um, <laughs> talking to you on a VCP screen in between my, uh, my steering wheel. Um, you know, because a uh, situation dictated that I needed to be in a different place very quickly, right? And, um, you know, it's it's most interesting that, at least looking at my team, the people who perform are continuing to perform like in this, right? So just being adapted, whether that's alternative work fixes like we all have here, uh, homemade haircuts. <laughs> um, and then um, last and very interesting, becoming a network engineer in my own house, right? Inside plant, because I have generally five people at some points of the day doing two-way audio and video. Um, so, um, you know, again, thanks for having me and uh, I look forward to the discussion. Yep, Th thank you, Jake, for coming here. Uh, next, we'll go with, uh, how about you, Roy? Well, I know you got a lot. You you guys have handled a lot of a lot of data coming in from all over the place and and ramping up. And kudos to you and your team for getting out. I don't know what it was six seven hundred billion dollars worth of PPP loans, among other things. And uh, now it looks like you're uh, you're headed to round two. Yes. So so far uh, we are situated in, in a good uh, platform. We already built. And we are expanding what's up through our thought process and having proper planning to attack this type of situation. So I currently work with the um, new deployment and the zero trust program and also tech and the modernization of vulnerability management, which um, open up a huge can of worm because of the recent um, exploit happening in Solomons and we have to look into other avenues how we can um, tighten our screws on our vulnerability and patch management process. Apart from that, you know, since COVID-19, um, our network volume went up. People are trying to gain access to our systems more than ever. And they're also targeting end users um, who's using tools at home to exploit some sort of data. So in, in order to, um, mitigate all of the risks. Um, we um, had a lot of controls in place. And what we did was we revisited um, all of those scenarios and see how can we get make these things better to um, facilitate all of our customers, which, we are, which is the entire United States. Um, if the stronger we are, then we can support better to all of our customer base, including other federal agencies. And um, one of those main things we always paddle into our um, security guys, do your work right. Um, follow the, through the processes. We have the processes in place for a reason. Just follow through, don't um, take any shortcuts. Um, yeah, the, those um, initial frameworks we put in together, it's working really well. And also we are adding more layers with all of these uh, new mandates coming through the pipeline. Fun times to be in cybersecurity. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for your service. Uh, next, we'll go with uh, Stephen Hernandez, uh, Department of Education. And I know uh, you guys had to deal. You have to deal with that citizen aspect. Uh, of course, it's all about me. You know, I've got two kids. Actually, my one son just graduated here in December, but filling out paths and forms and uh, a lot of the uh, citizen work that you do. Uh, yeah, let us I'm interested to hear your story. Yeah, so, you know, most people know us for our, one of our primary missions, which is educational access and opportunities. So no matter you know where you may find yourself in life, career-wise, mental health, physical situation, uh, we're going to make sure that you have those opportunities to get that education. But one of those opportunity areas, of course, is also federal student aid. And that's our, our 800 pound um, angel in the room, as it were. And that that is our $1.6 trillion accounts receivable. And you know, on any given year, we're, we're brokering that accounts receivable, but depending on Congress's persuasion and where they're headed, we might be brokering between an additional one to two more trillion uh, depending on the programs that we're running, and you know, we just release a, another hundred billion out into the out into the marketplace to help support K through 12 and institutions of higher education during these COVID times. And what we're finding is that um, whether it's the 6,000 institutions that we interact with at the higher education space, that's where we facilitate federal student aid. Uh, they all have the same challenges we do. They're all figuring out how do we adapt and how do we frankly evolve and that's the key term how do we keep evolving to stay one step ahead of our adversary um, an interesting tidbit was when covid first started we saw our attackers they had a little slowdown as well they had a little dip and we actually thought well that's interesting that's that's wonderful they're holding off but then they came back with a vengeance they, they retooled and they recognized now it's not just the the systems that we use as an enterprise both our partners and the department it's also now the home systems and it's the software yes. and the shadow it that they bring to the table at the end of the day to get the mission done but sometimes not in the most secure ways and so that's been an ongoing dialogue between the department and our citizens facing services and our partners is about how do we keep that evolution headed in the right direction at the right pace? And a lot of that is about communication and timing. And so that's been a very critical aspect as we've been moving forward. Thank you, Stephen. And last but certainly not least, we have Sydney Morgan. It would be great to get your perspectives. At Cisco, you see a lot. You see a lot across government. You see a lot across industries. Um, I'd love to hear your perspectives. Yeah, so I think we, you know, we had the same challenges as, as most uh, enterprises and government agencies. I remember that uh, fateful night, it was a Friday, it was fairly late on Friday and Chuck, our CEO, called us in and said, it's about mid-March, said, hey, I think I need to send everybody home and to work. We'd had a, a big outbreak in one of our engineering buildings and like, okay, <laughs> but do you think you can get everybody up and running um, quickly? I'm like, sure, no problem. Um, what, one of the key things about this is that we had uh, adopted a DevSecOps model, development security operations, so that we had security built into every platform that we had deployed, um, and it, everything was fully automated. So, you know, automation is critical, so that, that's good. But so automation was security, security is a you know, day zero thought in all of my architecture. Um, so, I, so we went home. Um, we had a single point of, of, of capability to deploy securely home office capabilities. And I went from 
in over a weekend from about 485 office locations to 140,000 office locations globally. And those all had to be up, running, and secure and connected you know, as quickly as possible. I got the entire United States up and running by Monday. Again, thanks to automation and capabilities that we had in place and security being part of the architecture. Then we got the rest of the world up and connected with, within about eight days. So we had 140,000 offices that you know, support, um, and we have them up and running in eight days in a very secure zero trust uh, operating model. Um, and we're seeing the same thing. User experience is, is good and productivity is up about 26%. Might have to do with there's no place to go, um, but we are seeing tremendous productivity from our employees. How do you measure, and I'll, I'll get into it with everybody else, but while I have you, how do you measure productivity? I'm kind of interested in that, and, and that's pretty impressive to get 26% more productivity during a pandemic. I love it. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's two ways you can measure productivity with my systems. One, you can do a very objective um, assessment because the way we secure Cisco is through analytics. The way I, I look at user experience is through analytics. I have a, an AI ops platform that I can event and correlate across, you know, both vertical from the, the business value through the business applications all the way down through the infrastructure and then horizontally across all my systems. Then the other is the objective of pulling our employees and just asking, how is the user experience? One is, I think, a little draconian um, and we don't like to do and we don't use it. We use the other objective one. Are employees happy? You know, are they feeling productive? Um, and with those surveys and some internal polling that we have, and I can, again, I can verify it with all the objective analytics, we, we came up with, with that number. As a matter of fact, our productivity from just the pure hours worked went to a point where we started giving employees days off just to say, hey, take a break, relax. Because um, when, you're, when you're at home and there's nothing to do, you, you go and read email and it's 11 o'clock at night and you realize that you've been on your computer for you know, over 18 hours that day. So we're, we're experiencing more, more burnout um, from computer time than we are the other way around. Very interesting, Sydney. And, and Jake, I, I remember that Friday that, that Sydney's referring to is like the last day I was actually at a government office and I was at the Jake Joint AI Center. Of course, they're on your network, the, you know, the Dizen network. Um, how, how, how has it been over there as far as uh, changing? Because a, a lot of your work's in a skiff. It, it's like, you know, every time I go there, I got to calibrate. I got to bring some paper in because I can't remember. I don't have my notes on me. I don't have my iPad and uh, and I get I get turned around and I don't have anybody's number. So I know it's a big change, just change for you all. And just maybe go into that a little bit. I know you've adapted to the to the, the new deal. Yeah. So yeah. I, I say it's like a, it's like a two different stories. Right. So one I will say good is, um, you know, for a lot of uh, what we do, let's just say unclassified. Right. We, we've had like pretty robust VPN and and mobility solutions. Um, so, um, and I think we had also really good web conferencing capabilities and the expectation there. So I think there was just a lot of capacity, maybe like uh, growth that needed to be done in that area. So um, we, we've done very well there. Uh, now, uh, on the other side, right? The things that are, are not extensible to, to be done at home, um, those are challenges. Uh, you know, they are, they are definitely challenges. Um, 
you know, it's not just even a matter of not being able to come to the office, but you also have the expectations of physical distancing and, and those things when you are in the office, right? So they, they, in some cases, may, you know, deprecate your ability to be able to fit, you know, uh, DevSecOps, right, um, in, in a way. Um, uh, but, you know, as, you know, as Sydney said, uh, there are, there's this innate feeling of people to still want to get things done. Uh, and in some cases, uh, the, you know, leaders have to say, hey, you know, I do need you to take a break, right? Or yeah. I do need you not to inadvertently break the um, the separation of, of groups that we're trying to do in order to actually keep the physical the physical distancing, right? You know, as a, as a COVID mitigation. So um, I, I would say, you know, it, we're probably at a net loss, you know, in respect to um, capability, but um, definitely proud to see that a lot of people are kind of leaning in to, to, to getting things done. Great, great. And next up, how about you, Stephen? How was that transition for you all over at education? Yeah, you know, it's been really incredible. And what's, what's fascinating is, um, we, we actually had a great coup plan, a great continuity of government plan, and we, we executed them. And it's it's the little things that you find, well, you know, nobody ever thought of that. And the big one for us was we had to close our badging offices for a period of several weeks. And of course, we, we used the badges to get into the building. Well, that wasn't so much of an issue because no one was coming into the building. But we also used the badge to get into our computers, our laptops, our endpoints, and that, that was a big deal. Um, and we were sitting on a, on a Wednesday afternoon on the cusp of one of our largest onboardings uh, for the year. And uh, come Monday, it was either going to be, well, you need to come in and get a badge. Sorry, that's really horrible. Or we're not going to issue you equipment, which obviously was not acceptable. And so looking into a lot of these agile practices and, and really driving towards, you know, if we con bond and put everything to the left except for this project and we got all the right people in the room, and we removed obstacles down the way, how quickly could we get a solution in place? And over five days, we engineered a completely new multi-factor authentication solution, wow. um, tested it, had it ready to go Monday morning with technology we already had, but it was getting the right people there. We needed the enterprise architects who knew all these services and solutions. We needed the engineering folks, the security folks, the sysadmins, the service desk. They had to ship their model or change their model to ship and receive via FedEx versus in person. Um, a tremendous amount of work over five days and you know, big kudos to the team because Monday folks onboarded and we didn't miss a beat. And we're taking that use case internally and saying, how can we do that more often? And how can we start leveraging some of these agile ways of thinking so that we can really focus and drive hard on the critical challenges and then work through the next one instead of being spread way too thin across too many projects. And do you think that uh, this is going to stick? You know, I just think of I, I I just think of Captain Kirk going to Scotty. Scotty, we need warp speed in 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 two minutes. Well, Scotty would say, "Hey, it's going to give me a week. We'll get warp speed back up." And Kirk would say, "We need it in four minutes, or we're dead." You know, is are we going to how are we going to keep that pace? Maybe not at that breathtaking speed, but are are we? Do you think we've cracked it now, and we're going to uh, do things a little more agile and, and do things a little quicker? based on COVID? Yeah, we, we definitely see that in our ranks. Um, you know, this one was certainly the emergency. I need warp speed now before the, the Klingons are on us. Um, yeah. But the, the other situations are we have lots of other opportunities where we discovered 
we were just doing a thousand things a little bit at a time all at once and it was it was not moving us forward and if we could cut that down to 10 cut that down to 100 and really drive hard on those they get completed and they get completed sooner um, and then we get the next hundred, et cetera. So it's been a culture shift of getting people to think about how we deploy our services and how we deploy our operations. Um, but we've seen the victories leading to more and more people gaining that mindset and saying, I want to do business that way. Great, great. And how about you, how about you Roy? I know that you, you were working on going to the cloud and when Maria was there and uh, you guys were had made a lot of changes, but um, let us know from your perspective how that all went. So that, <clears throat> thank you for reminding our cloud adaption process. So when we had this transition um, for COVID, we had the same situation about credentialing people in onboarding. So since we adapted Azure and Microsoft, now we're going to Google as well. And it was an easy process. What we did was we went out of the traditional credentialing process and we went on different attributes, how to validate our users. And we, um, like um, um, Hernandez said, um, we went outside of our physical security process, bring on uh, two-factor authentication and put some new technologies in place to onboard people faster and we shipped out their laptops, everything ready to go. To answer your question, is this going to stay? Yes. So we have other means and ways to validate each single user onboarding into the prem or wherever they need to onboard, wherever their location is. So this is going to stay, and this is a whole different process. Some agencies previously I worked, they take like six months to onboard. Now we are onboarding within 48 hours individuals. So this is a really good process. This process has been there within every agency. It's the mindset of the leadership saying, okay, we can do this, even though it's not written in any of the documents, but buying in from the top to accelerate these processes is the biggest um, win for everybody who is in the field. Yes, uh, we have a identity management group and, and boy, there are so many lessons to be learned. I know one of Stephen's Stephen, I don't know if you're there when Alan Hill was there, but he's he's heading up a pilot, and Alan Hill is a GSA, and he, um, you know, he heads the the uh, EIS program now, and he knows that stuff really well. But he's like working on a pilot in identity management with the Postal Service to do some credentialing, maybe through the, our post offices, and the post offices eternally wanted to do more and more work. But I think identity would be a great place because it's really hard to get in the government building and go get your credentials. We need to think of a better way to do it. And uh, I, we wanna try to bring different agencies together. Everybody has the same problem. DOD has it with CAC, uh, civilian agencies with PIV. Um, it, it's it's definitely something that is a problem. So we're starting to get some questions. I actually figured out how to, how to do it. Um, we have one, as attacks on the edge ramp up, do you see programs targeting cyber recovery increasing? We see a lot of programs around security and prevention, but not many around data resiliency and recovery. Any comments can be would be appreciated. So this is in the recovery recovery part. Maybe we can start. Stephen, you want to handle that one? Try to handle that one, or yeah, I'll I'll, I'll throw something on the table and, and we can go from there. 
absolutely. Uh, so I was alluded to earlier, you know, Coop and Cog became vital parts of this and that went into our contingency planning and also discussions around resiliency. Um, we were fortunate in that we had just had an entire trans uh, infrastructure transformation about maybe a year or so before this all happened. And one of the use cases we focused on uh, was frankly a pandemic. Um, and this one played out a little different than what we thought it would. But part of it was assuming that uh, folks were just out and the whole East Coast was not operational. Where do we have resilience and infrastructure and services and operations throughout the rest of the United States? Um, and that really served us well because in many cases we made sure that we had the right capacity at the ready um, at our multiple locations for MTIPS and TIC and things like that. But then also making sure that our service providers were in a position where if they needed to route traffic outside of the TIC, that we had ways they could do that. We were looking at some of the, the new TIC use cases that we could put in place and fire up in the cloud to make that happen. Thank you. And uh, Sydney, how about how about Cisco? You guys have been in this game for a while. Well, what is your approach? Yeah, resiliency has been built into our architecture from 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 the beginning. Um, so we we basically had had a data strategy, and we we have resiliency built into it. So I have um, active active data centers. We we took advantage, as I mentioned earlier, automation and self-service capabilities to be able to distribute our data um, across the globe. I'm going to a cloud-native application architecture, cloud-native environment using containers and dockers to orchestrate that. Um, so multiple data centers around the world, 19 of them, 13 peer neutral facilities and interconnections to service providers that we can also use for resiliency, you know, three big ones um, out there, Azure, GCP, and AWS. And we also have 300 other partners that connect in through our care neutral facilities. So it probably goes under the better be lucky than good that resiliency, global resiliency has been something we've been planning for um, since I've been at Cisco 20, for 20 years. And uh, Jake, how about how about you, you all? You, you basically have your internal uh, stakeholders, but you also have customers. You have the, the Army, the Navy, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, how do you guys handle resiliency basically? Yeah, so I, I think um, it's it's like the other um, two panelists talked about. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, I remember, you know, working in my first organization and, you know, one of the enterprise architecture um, standards that had always been was this thing called high availability, right? Um, which which really meant, you know, multi-site architecture, um, in some case, active-active, in some cases, maybe, you know, hot, warm. Um, so, you know, we're, you know, continuing that and, and I'll say kind of a lead into the cloud, right? What, what does that actually mean in the cloud? So it, it may not look to be where you actually architect, you know, to applicate, you know, your application in that, in that type, but can you leverage, you know, built in capabilities of being, having two availability zones, right? Um, and I think what's also key is um, pretty much robust data backup. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's there, there's just certain things that you're just not going to be able to prevent against. Right. We saw we saw an event with the telecom on Christmas morning and, um, you know, the systems would go down. But in some cases for that recovery, right, where's the data? So can can you go ahead and, and reconstitute? Um, and do you have those plans? Um, do you exercise? Plans? <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for that. And uh, 
I think Roy, we haven't heard from you on this topic. I know you guys have worked up so, quite a bit on this. Go ahead. Yes, we did. Um, because we are like cloud, cloud, cloud everywhere. So it was easy for us to, um, we are using infrastructure as code now. So we built in all of our recovery and BCP and DCP plans in place. And like um, other gentlemen said, this was the best test case for everybody to test out how their applications going to work because the network traffic, um, some of our applications double, triple, and 10 times more than a regular day. So because we built all of this with rigorous testing and using our existing cloud um, technologies within each cloud provider, it helped us a lot. And bouncing off of different data centers, different zones, everything we um, did through their cloud um, profiling and also because using infrastructure as code and building DevSecOps to each application, it helps us a lot because it, it, it's moving just the code instead of bar, moving the servers. It's the serverless architecture we are following right now. Um, you're going to get back to me about the new application deployment. We will talk about that during that time. Yep, yep, and uh, thank you for that. And. So uh, with us going remote and we're starting to use lots of different new applications and some surge requirements, uh, as we alluded to at some of your agencies, uh, how, how do you scale? And I know there's also some challenges of like, how do I, you know, my cost and these kinds of things are, 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 are changing. So what are some of the trends inside that we're seeing as we move more to a, a remote uh, workforce? And let me go ahead and start with you, Sydney. Yes, so the, obviously the, the costs are, are are increasing as far as the connectivity goes. I mean, our our WebEx traffic is up 24 times its normal peak volume, and if you just look at the average over the past nine months, it's up about three times. So those those are definitely added costs. It's crazy. Yeah. The, the the big um, win for us is that we just we haven't had any travel, so financially those have somewhat offset each other. Um, so it's been, been a big win there. We've got the productivity um, that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, and our platforms were in place. So we've, you know, we've always had a kind of anywhere, anytime work mentality at Cisco, and it has to be secure. And we, you know, we want security to be fun because humans are your weakest link in any security architecture. So we, we have a dojo class. So depending on your roles within the, the uh, company, you have to have anywhere from a white belt security certification up to a black belt. And then you have to understand data and how the data is classified. And then we test you through phishing and a few other things that, that we do. But we really ingrain in our employees that security is everybody's responsibility. It's a responsibility. Um, so it's allowed us to kind of balance the cost, stay, keep people safe, and then drive productivity for, you know, through this whole pandemic until we get back into the office. Great. And, and Jake, what are some of the numbers that have shifted around as we've gone remote? I know, um, you know, I, I know that you guys have had some big challenges there and opportunities, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, so I, I I probably can't get a, quantif a quantified answer, but um, I will tell you as I walk the building, it's a lot different place than it, um, it used to be, right? Um, you know, you, you see more of the cleaning um, teams than you actually see uh, the workers, right, that are actually in there. But, um, you know, kind of the key off one of, you know, your question that you asked Sydney, 
Um, I think right now we've been primed to be successful in this with with just, um, you know, kind of my old world, right? Mobility. How many devices am I, am I just even looking at right now that are enabled to, to even support this WebEx, right? Um, if you look at um, consumer network speeds, right? So one gigabit in my house. Um, I would have never thought that that would even be something I would have. And it's pretty affordable, right? So yeah. it's, not, it's not crazy. And then back to the cloud, right? So um, although this is this is somewhat connected, I will say just even native cloud usage, even when we lift and shift uh, applications, right? So not native cloud. It's just amazing that with a couple of keystrokes, we're able to um, quickly scale up when it comes to memory, or when it comes to uh, storage, or even you know, even processor control. So. You know, if you contrast something like that to actually buying a, a blade or anything, right? So, you know, we're talking about minutes versus weeks. Um, so I think if we were in this situation even just 10 years ago, yeah, it would it would be different. It would it would be drastically different in the amount of productivity we would be able to get to. Uh yeah, th thank you for that. I forgot to mention that it, you you mentioned that your mobile, you know, you guys have really good mobile solutions. You're actually responsible for that. That's why you won that award back there. So that was, uh, <laughs> thank you. that was, you know, that's great when you do those kinds of things and then you see how valuable it, how valuable it turns out. Um, Roy, do you, you want to add something to this, please? Yeah, when it comes to cost, like um, all of the panelists said, most of the cost will be offsetting because our overhead costs went down because no traveling, um, no commuting, to, um, and there's, people are not moving around. So, and also we leverage all of the cloud providers, we leverage PS Go model. So, however we are consuming, that's the amount we are paying. So it's kind of balanced out. We looked at our, um, in my previous engagement with HHS, um, we looked at our price points and how much increase. It was not that much of increase, even after this humongous amount of teleworkers or the remote workers. So it's all different. And also we have good partnership with all of these cloud vendors. They understand uh, we're not going to be able to get their money right away because it needs to go through Congress and all of those process. We have really good established uh, relationship with these guys. They understand they are adaptable and they are flexible to support our mission. Yeah, that, you know, that it's good that you can partner with these vendors and they're, you know, understand the situation. Uh, Steven? Yeah, for us, it's been very similar. Um, our agencies have very much looked at it in the whole of the organization and where we're saving funds, we're consolidating in facilities, we're saving on parking, we're not traveling. Um, what we're seeing is, our leadership said, well, let's make sure we're plowing that right back into technology so that our users have a good fidelity experience. And that's been vitally important. And it's the little things. It's like, is there jitter and jerkiness in the video and the teleconferencing? And can we troubleshoot down to say, actually, no, you know, you need to move on from DSL to something a little faster probably in your home, these type of conversations. But without the right tooling and the training with the people, it's really hard to do that. And ultimately, what we're finding is that user experience is so crucial in making this working situation pan out. 
when folks have a great user experience, the technology is firing on all cylinders, the easiest way, the fastest way is also the most secure way. That's when we start winning. And what we're finding is our organization's been very willing to put forth the resources that they're saving towards things that have those kind of outcomes. Thank you. And now we're going to move into a, a topic uh, close to Roy's heart. But I'm, how about on the DevSecOps issues? I know that a lot of the federal government and their contractors, they were kind of relying on, hey, everybody has to be in the office and we have to collaborate. And we have to be physically next to each other. How, how did uh, how did this transform? Uh, how did this work with you, with your agency? So like like um, I previously said, it's all started with our leadership. We went in front of them and explained to them there are other ways to get these things done without people and keyboard and on the in the platform. So they we show them a prototype of how a infrastructure is code and they set up the whole process work and fully automated. So once they realize, okay, this is a good thing, and all of a sudden COVID came in, we had the best test case, and we rolled into our production environment. Most of our uh, applications are utilizing that um, AWS structure we built in. We are also planning to move to other cloud spaces. Um, like, like it, it was a really good win, and the leadership understand how uh, crucial these rapid deployments because when congress said i want this application within three days we are delivering them because they, they trust us to give this back to the, uh, the small business vendors so they can be afloat in their economy so th this is something um it was we take pride in sba how we provide these services to all of our customers and the team we have we have a we have some rock stars in our teams. They, they are, um, all you need to give is requirements, they'll take care of it. And we provide them the right frame how we would like to do secure. Security is baked into every single step throughout the entire life cycle process. So we don't need to wait until the last minute to get it validated. So it goes through the whole um, step one to step 10. By the time it goes to sign off the product, it's already there. And data is there, the validation is done. So it's a win-win for everybody. Great, great. And Sydney, you alluded to a little bit with AI ops, and maybe you can go into a little more detail on, uh, you know, how your DevSecOps team, you know, how you guys are doing DevSecOps at, at Cisco. Yeah, we've 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 been a fairly distributed IT organization from from the beginning. Um, although when we first started to form a, a, a DevOps team, we, we wanted to get at least together for the first initial meeting because it just seemed to be a little bit more productive. Obviously, that couldn't happen now with with COVID. But we built platforms, you know, based on WebEx, WebEx Teams, the WebEx portfolio that allowed us to do DevOps in a collaborative fashion virtually. Um, now, those initial virtual uh, capabilities were people going to the office in San Jose and, and um, the East Coast yeah. and, you know, maybe Bangalore if we get the time zones. But then when we moved everybody home, since, since everything had been digitized, it was, it was really easy to just to collaborate um, in a DevSecOps dev scrum because we had all of our models and process in place um, from home as it was in the office. So it was kind of a natural just extension of what we were already doing. Um, it just individually as opposed to small little groups. 
Right, right. And Jake, uh, I know you guys, you know, you all have challenges, just everybody's co-located for the most part, from my understanding. How did you uh, all adapt in your development? Yeah, so um, I, I think it was interesting in that since, you know, in the past you were used to kind of all jumping in this one big conference room. Um, and in some cases, the capacity of that conference room may have inhibited some groups from actually, you know, participating right in a, in a scrum, um, and now that's that's not a limitation, right? If if you're actually using, um, you know, web conferencing, right? And and I'll say, you know, a part of my training and some of the, the you know things I've been reading about, I've been trying to extend um, strategic agile framework. To actually bring in some other groups inside of um, you know our our, our agile processes uh, because we we started to see where um, we kind of had this core you know net ops and application and service support but there might have been people who work physical security uh, or or other parts of our processes that were just not in and then we bolted on at the end. Right, so in, in some ways, uh, COVID has made it where it's actually easier to be to extend groups um, into these processes because we're not, you know, we got the large, we got the large conference room, we got the medium conference room, and if you land the medium conference room, you're not as effective as you landed the large conference room. Yeah, it's very, very, very interesting. And uh, Stephen Hernandez, I want to add a little. Yeah, I, I love this conversation around AI and machine learning. I want to pick on that a little bit as well. Um, the For us, when we're looking at these type of capabilities, we're looking at it through the lens of zero trust. And for us, zero trust is kind of the next big strategic move. The next 10 years for us is going to be defined uh, by how we leverage the, the concepts in zero trust. And we have this idea of the trust engine, this, this thing that's going to be making decisions in near real time about how to protect our enterprise. And for us, that's gonna be driven by machine learning, AML, frankly, for the most part, um, artificial intelligence in terms of some of the decision-making and then RPA in terms of making sure that all the follow-on actions and all the paperwork, the audit trails that need to happen are gonna be in place. And so, uh, you know, sometimes I get asked, well, what are the big things on the horizon? It's like, well, you need to understand data and statistics and you need to understand AI and ML and RPA because those things combined are gonna be the, the workhorses of cybersecurity going into the future. And we have to get there because our adversaries are already starting down this path. Yeah, we, we got a question and I'm gonna try to frame it so it's, it's so, sort of understandable. Um, do your cloud vendors provide security of your data and uh, taking into consideration recent news events, um, we do not hear a lot about enterprise key management on premise relates to migration in the cloud. How about this? Um, maybe describe your how you how you do security, and who's you know what whose responsibility is, is what. And um, Roy, maybe we'll start off with you um, at SBA because I remember I heard the story that you guys had thirty some tools and you've reduced it to six, and you're getting better results. Um, yes. Um, Thank you, it's, it's more than 30. Um, so what we did was we had overlapping tools everywhere and we did a 
uh, Japan and see which tool does what, then we collapsed everything and we finally came uh, cloud-enabled native cloud tools on all three clouds, it do the same thing. So once we realized that, we enabled them and got the logs into a nominal um, size. So because if everything is available with those three, six different tools, and we able to get actionable intel off of the tools. To answer the question about the uh, certificates and the um, how we are managing it from the on-prem to cloud, we um, so all of the cloud providers have their own key management system, and also if you have a key management system and you can bind with your Active Directory and manage manage the whole thing as holistically, regardless of who is signing your keys. So that's the way we are handling this game on the key management piece. Great, great. And how about uh, Cisco, uh, Sydney? How, if you can add a little yeah, yeah. depth to that. The same as above, um, we're, we're managing it. Um, through, through, so Active Directory is our single source of truth. Uh, we're managing it uh, via that, via single sign-on user ID, um, leveraging a lot of our platforms. Because um, if you look at what it takes to get into the crown jewels, you go through about 20 concentric security platforms to, to, to get into some of the most sensitive uh, data. Um, all that stuff collects and gives off digital exhaust. We absorb all that and then analyze it consistently with um, commercial products and some homegrown InfoSec products, um, analyze about 47 terabytes of data a day, and, and then run about 50 playbooks against that data, looking for anomalies within the data. And it's just, you know, some, that's something that we do every day, 365, and we have about 100, and, about 100 forensics data scientists within the security wow. organization looking at that, you know, leveraging Talos, which is a really critical component of, of our security environment. Great, great. Thank you for that. And uh, Jake? Yeah, Tom, so I, I got guys who are like a lot smarter on this topic than I am, but um, I'll just say in general, right? So we are we are leveraging um, policy that's in a VODI um, 8530-1 and the enterprise scoring model, which, which, which puts a construct out there that like, you know, who's doing what, right? So there's a little bit of layered defense, right? Kind of external um, service providers um, and then internally some, some responsibility that you have to yourself to actually, you know, use data analytics and sim, sim and those things there. Great, thank you. And Stephen? I think you're on mute, Stephen, or? I was on mute, great okay. catch. I think one of, the, one of the areas that was brought up there that really resonated with me is this idea of data dominance. And that's, a, that's something we use around my organization where if there's data that leads to risk, I want it. I want it accurate, thorough, timely, and preferably in one place so I can run very fast analytics and hopefully some predictive analytics in that space as well. And for us, what that's meant is we've, we've built out a data lake. And uh, that data lake has to be agile enough and nimble enough to grow with the ebbs and flows of data, but also to interface with all of our services, whether they're on-prem, in the cloud, third-party infrastructure. Um, and that's been a real challenge for us, but also an amazing place and source of victories in that we have visibility across our enterprise now that we, we've never had before. Great, great. And and I'll, I'll, I'll just ask another question, Stephen, and since I'll just direct it to you. We're, 
you've been in this game for a while and, you know, we've gone from a lot of data centers. You know, I, I think the definition of data center was you, know, you had a computer under your desk to where we are now going to cloud. Where is how are we compare to maybe 10 years ago? Because people still say cloud and the biggest vulnerability is security. You know, that's why they don't do it, because I think that's changing, but it's still it's still there. How do you think we compare back to the good old days? Yeah, so uh, I would say as a federal government, incredible advancement. And, and in our organization, for example, we report zero government data centers. We don't we don't have any. Um, and for us, that means we're completely in the cloud and in some places we're in colo space and some data centers. And I will argue that you can have as good, if not better security in these cloud environments. Yeah. But what you have to be willing to do is reposition thinking because you're not gonna lift and shift what you had traditionally and drop it in the cloud environment. That doesn't work and it's horribly expensive to do that. You have to think about the workload and then how to optimize it in that new cloud environment. And you start thinking about what, what I consider the cloud primitives. These are things that are in the fabric of the cloud, tools and capabilities you can use for security. You start talking about capabilities and outcomes in the cloud and you're gonna find that the cloud providers can frankly do it better, faster, and in many ways cheaper than what you were able to do on-prem. Great. Um, how about you, Jake? Yeah, no, so I, I agree with Stephen. I'm, I'm probably going to break with him a little bit in that we, we do sometimes uh, do our lift and shift. And I, and I know like people, people get uh, strong, but um, and, so, and, and I would agree that it's not the right way. In some cases, it's just an effect of being able to do it um, faster and have a more resilient system. Um, and, and I would agree with uh, Stephen as well in that. Uh, now, I will say people who used to be resistance are are definitely now embracing it, right? And, and in fact, um, I think the security is getting better because with the idea that you don't, you can't put your hand on something, right? Even even if it was just a virtualized stack of blades, um, there's just this feeling of, of just wanting to understand like from, a, from an application or from an IP range, right? We need to understand what's going from this place to this place here. Um, so I, I will say, like in in my space, we are adopting cloud. Um, we are gaining the benefits of cloud, uh, and um, in in some cases, even with those lift and shifts, right, being able to squeeze twenty to twenty five percent more capacity, yeah. uh, concurrency, and, and that's with a little bit of transformation. So so I look forward to when we can actually start using, in some cases, uh, maybe the legacy applications then become cloud native. And um, then that's what the, the big returns. Yeah, I think it's always a, a business case. And boy, if anybody wants to go on a good tour, our partners over at Equinix, it really gives you the idea of what the art of the possible is. It is just blow away. You think you're in the, here we go with Star Trek, but you're in the Star Trek enterprise in the engineering room. It's, it's unbelievable. And if you have a, a government data center in a basement that leaks, you know, lift and shift might make a lot of sense. Uh, Roy? You want to add a little to this? Yeah, um, so like um, both of them said about um, moving the traditional data center application into the cloud, we went through the same concept. We had a lot of application all over the place, not only um, SBA in my other areas, uh, HHS. So what we usually look at, we always look at the port itself. We don't look at the uh, what server it's running. We don't look at any of those. 
we looked at the application layer and see we, there are new technologies available um, like Jenkins or any other code deployment tools. We utilize them to migrate into the serverless architecture to the cloud, which reduces the cost, but it will give a lot of leverage to run the applications. It's um, vendor ag agnostic, OS agnostic. So it was a huge win for uh, um, places I worked when we go to the cloud instead of getting um, getting rid of our data centers. So that's something um, we worked every place I was part of is reducing the data center and cloud first mandate. Yeah, and Roy, I, I will attest to that. I've actually seen it firsthand. Uh, Sanjay, uh, uh, your your CTO was giving tours to government folks, yeah, and, yeah. and and it was really pretty crazy. Like you got it showed that you were working and improving your security scores and um, how you had you know gradually you know gotten better and better and better and better. Uh, it was a very effective tour, and you guys did, used to do that. I guess we'll wait till after Paycheck Protection Program, and you know, uh, and we're COVID's behind us. Sydney, really interested to hear how how you're how you all have evolved over the years. You, you're kind of on there on the edge a little bit with all the you know since you're creating a lot of these products that people are using. What have you seen over the last ten years? Yeah, when we you know we started building out our first internal private cloud, I think clouds were still white puppy things in the sky, and now it's a common term that everybody uses. We started and built a private cloud in in, in my. In my data centers, well, there's more than we have 19 today. There's more than that when we started. I mean, then we realized that that wasn't enough, and where the world was going. And, and most of our consumption was was SaaS consumption, software as a service. You know, kind of the, the end product versus uh, building infrastructure and building on top of it. Although we we can do both. Um. So with that need, we built out uh, in our carrier neutral facilities. Equinix is 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 a big uh, partner with us on that. A mm -hmm. A, um, we, we call it cloud port, so it's an architecture we put in there, and that gives me secure connectivity to all of my different providers through a central location that I can audit and monitor and put back into my my, my AI system for, for security. Um, and then going back to the data and how secure it is, we, we built a program called Casper, um, which is a ser service provider readiness where we go in and look at the data classification that we want to, the data we want to put in the classification, and is that service provider ready to hold that classified type of data. If it isn't, we'll partner with them and build up to what we need. And then we have a, a, a on top of that, an overlay called Security Buddy. So anytime you deploy into a public service provider environment, you automatically get a Security Buddy that goes in and is constantly assessing what's there and if you're meeting the standards, you get a score every day of zero to 100 and you have to maintain a certain score depending on the data classification that you've put into that service provider. So that's how we uh, keep our environment safe. Wow. Yeah, we're gonna have to get you back, Sydney. That's that's good stuff. I know we've been working with you on the trusted internet connection pilot, which we don't have to get, we don't have time to get into everything today. Uh, yeah, in closing, I, I, I would love to hear about, hey, this is the beginning of the year. What what are we going to see? What do you think some of the trends we're going to see in in 2021? And uh, maybe I'll start off with you, Jake. Where do you see? Is it going to be continuation? Is there some new things on the horizon? Where do you where do you see us as we get beyond COVID and get into normal operations? Yeah, so I, I think um, I'll say from a COVID perspective, this is this is definitely not just an event, right? This is going to be a shift. 
um, in, in the department, right? It's it's about the lethality, and you know this this type of event will you know definitely kind of challenge us to be able to do our job, right? So um, next time we got it, we, we're going to be more ready um, when when it comes. So you're you're going to see more investment, I believe, in things like being able to work effectively from home for certain groups that can do that. And then also for those who can't, right? What are what are good mitigations against something, um, you know, like a global pandemic? Uh, Ten years ago, when I was a young reserve officer. I was actually in a unit uh, consequence management, and I was the I was the IT guy in that organization. And uh, you know, so for the most part, I was a support, right, to the mission. And it's interesting to come full circle, right here, ten years later, and. I think we all are now managing consequence management, right? In fact, I would say that became half of my job. So again, going into the future, um, you know, along with leveraging the cloud, right? We talked about the benefits, right? Um, in some cases, uh, less expensive, faster, more resilience, right? Let's get in there quickly. Let's let's get that capacity there. Um, let's look at these networks. Uh, home networks and commercial networks are an extension. It was definitely like that in mobility, right? But now even yeah. more so, it's an extension of 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 the effectiveness of our work there. So, thanks, Tom. Great, thank you. And uh, Stephen, I would say you know IT's always been the heroes um, in many cases, but I think in this situation, the value and the strategic value of IT uh, is becoming increasingly important yeah. in all organizations. Even in organizations where IT was a front-running strategic driver, now it's even more so. And in organizations where IT was a commodity, probably as common as electricity or plumbing, now it's IT forward because of the, the frank, frankly, the force multiplier IT's become in productivity during this situation. So we're never going back to where we were, that's for certain. Uh, in terms of how we work, but I think the new way we work is going to be incredible. I think that taking the silver lining out of this situation is we've been able to find great new ways to advance and leverage technology that's going to help uh, move us into the future. I think that's a wonderful situation. Great. And Roy? Well, so next, um, like I said, this, this situation is going to stay here. And we are going to modernize our existing architecture and move forward and more flexible um, to adapt new technologies. And we will see more data coming into the networks from this year onwards because uh, the endpoints expanded all the way up to the watches now. You can do Zoom calls to your wearables. So that means there's more data coming in, there's more data classification need to be done. And also there's gonna be a heavy um, influence um, uh, we're going to think how, how we are going to handle our privacy information. So the next year it's going to be a huge topic um, because the humongous amount of data is going to come through and which way it's coming in. So it's good to be in cybersecurity and see more data. Great. And uh, Sydney, you get the last word. And I know you're a public company. Can't tell us all the secrets, but anything you can, <laughs> yeah. you can give us. So we did a lot of soul searching and determined that really all COVID did was just accelerated all trends that were probably going to happen anywhere. It accelerated that cloud, it accelerated the work anywhere securely. 
So this is just going to continue. Um, we're not going to go back in any numbers to the to the workforce in, in the United States until the, the end of June. Um, but we also are looking at every office location that we have and, and shutting down a lot of offices because, quite frankly, people are more productive on the road or at home and then spending time with customers when they can go out and, and be with customers. So I think all it did was accelerate what was going to happen over quite a few years into nine months, and you're going to have a hybrid environment with fewer office, more collaboration, more virtual collaboration, and a very and, and higher productivity at the end of the day. Um, and security is making this all possible. That's why security is so important. It must be a, a day zero design into any architecture that you're going to deploy in the future. Thank you. I think you're right, Sydney. And you get the last word of the day. Uh, thank you, Jake, Stephen, Roy, and Sydney. Uh, been a great discussion. I can't believe this hour has gone already. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Uh, we'd like to thank Cisco and Please tune in next week for our cybersecurity summit. And we got Roy coming back, but it should be be a fantastic uh, couple hours uh, on January 12th. So everybody have a good week and have a good year. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.